Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Captain's Slog with Ensigns Mark and Eddie coming to you live from 10 Forward where we are watching the canonically established copies of Star Trek The Next Generation <laughs> off of the Enterprise hard drive and you join us this week where we watch an episode that of Star Trek that itself was a mistake that choosing to watch was a mistake Oh um, god But anyway, other than that, Mark, Mark, before we start let's put this off as long as possible, where you been? Um... Uh yeah. Okay. <laughs> how how have you been? Uh yeah 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 all right. Uh, uh my um. But often do. Sorry sorry I I do apologise Eddie. What happened there was um I gave a real non-committal answer and then I asked you how you were and then I realised I didn't really care so I started <laughs> going back and was like actually I do have things to tell Eddie. <laughs> so whatever that thing was that you just said. Okay, Save continue. It. Let's, let's it <laughs> um, yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, my GP's phoning me tomorrow to figure out whether I need to go in. So that's good. Um, and I just like I because I I called up the GP and I was like, look, I need, I need to speak to the doctor. And she went, uh, well, what's they need to call you to figure out whether it's worth coming in. And she went, what's what's wrong with you? Uh, and I and I distilled thirty three years of a fucking fucked up brain down to oh it's mental health. So my doctor is going to phone me tomorrow, and it's going to be like you know you know in like films and that when when the person whatever gets news and then they turn around and press the button on the intercom and go, Kathy, cancel my two o'clock. I'm going to be the first person in history to make a GP cancel their entire roster. Uh, I think you've misunderstood how MP, uh, GPs work, because what will happen is, no matter how bad or serious your situation is, you will still be out of the door within 15 minutes. <laughs> I'm, I'll be impressed. Uh, I... With a referral to another person. Do you, do you have the same thing that I've had when I've had to discuss mental health with like medical professionals, which is I get... I feel good about myself because I've made the decision to talk to someone about it. And then I get worried that when I talk to them, they're not going to realise how fucked up my brain is. So yeah, I, I get worried that I'm too sane. So then my brain starts going like even darker and weirder. Like It's like, <laughs> yeah, you might think you're sane. You might think you're not depressed. But how depressed would you feel if your girlfriend died? Imagine finding her body. Imagine what that would be like. Let's think about that for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> No, I don't have that. I I have the classic um, downplay. Oh, right. System where where she'll she'll call me the morning, and I'll and I'll and she'll be like, you know what's up, and I'll go, you know what, I'm ba- I'm basically fine. Like I, I don't know why I don't know why I bothered. I don't know what all all the all the dark thoughts. It's just I I was I was going through something at the time. Listen, don't worry about it. All right, thanks very much. See you later. That's, that's um, when she, she looks at the thing and looks and goes, well, on the Scottish scale, that means he's a suicide risk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm, I, 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 love, I, I don't love a self-diagnosis, but I am fairly sure that I have some kind of ADHD, uh, just like everyone. And, uh, yeah, I, I, that's another thing that I'm worried that I'm going to downplay. Anyway, this has been a real bummer start to this episode. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to bringing it back uh, with discussions of a, a great Star Trek uh, <laughs> story. So, sorry, Eddie, I interrupted you earlier on. Um, how you doing? 
Oh, um, well, I mean, to, 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 to bring it down even further, I found out that one of the few relatives I actually like has entered hospice care uh, for right. skin cancer. So, uh, that's, that's, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to sound and make it all about me, but that's my weekend ruin. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and that's, but that's not, that's not a good cancer either. That's one, no. of, that's one of the bad ones because no. you have a, you have a lot of skin. Yeah. If you get uh, like appendix cancer. I don't even think you should get the day off work. <laughs> yeah, the problem with skin cancer is it's not like with most cancers they can just cut the thing out that's like doing it. But if like yeah. they try and do, if they remove all your skin, you have to go home in a bucket, uh, which is not ideal. Or <laughs> you have to live for six months in the attic of an old English house, hoping that your brother's wife. Uh, will bring round people for you to sacrifice. Yeah, and other than that, you just get a bucket of fish heads every week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and if you know what movie I'm referring there, just quietly say it to yourself inside your own head. Have you? Uh, speaking of uh, weird movies, are you familiar with the movie Hider in the House? No, because it is the most terrifying idea for a horror movie ever. Right, this couple, I think they've got a kid. They buy a house, right, and it turns out that hiding in the walls is one of the most terrifying creatures known to man, Gary Busey. <laughs> As himself. Uh, it's To be fair with Gary Busey, since the accident, it's always as himself, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I did watch the trailer for the new uh, Bruce Campbell thing. Oh, I didn't know there was a new Bruce Campbell thing. Campbell yeah. It, it, at this point, it's like... Bruce, just, just, just play Ash, like, cause you know the only reason we're watching this is because you're gonna be at some point somewhat Ash-like, cause that's, I love Bruce Campbell, but Bruce yeah. Campbell is, he's not, I wouldn't say he's one note, I, I don't think that's fair, but I think he knows where his bread is buttered and he knows what we want and he's not gonna deviate from it, so just do more Ash. There is a. There is definitely. I genuinely believe that yeah. there is. Bruce Campbell has the capacity to do an Oscar-winning performance, but it will only be when he is in his eighties and he is specifically playing a washed-up B-movie actor. <laughs> As, <laughs> to it, is it just going to be a serious version of My Name Is Bruce? Yeah, yeah, nice. and also, yeah, just pull off like a Bella Lugosi in Edward sort of role. But if, if, also, if you've not, if anybody's unaware of it, Bruce Campbell has written two books. He's written his autobiography, "If Chins Could Kill," um, which is amazing. But I cannot recommend enough his actual novel, in which is a not. He's written a novel in which he stars, and it's about <laughs> the fake production of a movie that doesn't exist, in which he's playing the doorman who gives like wise advice to Richard Gere. Um, and it's all about all the stuff he does to prepare for the role. And it goes wildly off the rails. It's called Make Love the Bruce Campbell Way. I cannot recommend it enough. <laughs> it is a slapstick romp, the like of which... It's one of my favourite books of all time. And I've read over ten books. Nice. Um, <laughs> that actually sounds pretty good. I'm going to look that up, man. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. If I ever find out a Bruce Campbell signing is happening near me, I'm taking my copy of that down, because I think that would be the thing where he's like, oh fuck, someone read this. 
I once went to, and I'm, you're going to learn a lot about Mark here, right? This is, I'm not proud of any of the things that happen, and it happened in the words that I'm about to say. I once went to a book signing by Neil Strauss, author of The Game, and he was signing the sequel to The Game, and uh, the guy in front of me, Neil Strauss, was very impressed by because he brought a copy of The Dirt, which was the biography that Neil Strauss wrote about the band Motley Crue. <laughs> and he was clearly so fucking happy that he didn't, that he got a 30-second reprieve from fucking incel pickup artists asking him, <laughs> why doesn't this system work for me? My feelings. I've read. I've read part of the game because it was lent to me as a friend, and I read it. I read about two thirds of it as a as an intellectual exercise. And what I'm going to say is this: if a man goes into a bank with a gun and he robs the bank, he is a bank robber. If a man goes into a gun into a bank and tricks the people in the bank into giving him the money from the bank, he is a he is a bank robber. If you put a gun to a woman's head and make her have sex with you, you are a rapist. If you if you trick a woman into having sex with you under false pretenses, you are a rapist. I actually um I actually quite like the game. Not as like a an instruction manual for how to live your life because it's it's no, it's not. It's, it's well it, written, I'll say that. It's well written. The the the, pro- the problem is that the and I'm going to get controversial here, because you know what? No one's listening to this fucking episode. Um, <laughs> the system... Now, stay with me until the end of this sentence. The, the <laughs> system that they devised actually does work, provided that you are already the sort of person who naturally has that type of charisma. Yeah. Yeah, so, I it's not really something you can learn. You kind of already have to be that. And then the system that they devise, which is... And again, it's going to be a, a fucking controversial statement. It is trickery if you're lying to both yourself and her about <laughs> it. If you are already the type of sarcastic but charming, somewhat good-looking guy... Who can get away with that type of character? Basically, it's just teaching you to be a character. If you're yeah. the type of person who already had that character inside, then uh, I don't think that, I, I think there's probably things you can learn from it. But I do, I I do think it is actually quite an interesting story because the the main character mystery is the one person in the world I think who doesn't fit that mold. And he is trying to turn himself into a character that he is not. And his downfall and his breakdown is, quite frankly, very entertaining to read. Yeah. It's a book that starts... It's The opening chapter of that is a man in a thera- talking to a therapist crying. And yep. people recommend this book to you. You're like, this will sort your life out. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the problem is, well, it's got that thing that if you are the kind of person who... Like has that natural charisma. You read the book and it works for you, and then in your head, you can't work out why other people can't just do the things in the book and yeah. get laid because you don't. Re- it's a classic example of not realizing your own privilege. 
I I had that right because I um I read the book and I came away from it going, wait, so just like take the piss out of her a bit, <laughs> and then build up your own status or whatever by by being kind of charmingly somewhat humble braggy and i'm like i do i just that's my modus operandi that's just my natural way of being with basically everyone so i was already doing the fucking system um yeah just na- quite naturally i don't know where i'm going with that I, but that is a humble brag i'm charming yeah. as fuck um <laughs> It, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if you like. I have done far better, oh, rom- romance-wise, than my face would yeah, that's have you. Exactly believe. where I am. I, I. I must be charming because I've yeah. seen what I look like. But women have had sex with me. Like, yeah, it's it's not not one woman has ever had sex with me because they they because they saw me and said I want to fuck that. It's always been the result of me going. Look, if you've got ten minutes, we can have a conversation. I can make you think something is a good idea that probably isn't. <laughs> yeah, because I know what I'm like when I get into a relationship. Um, it, for example, I can turn any conversation about anything into a conversation about Ghostbusters. And you know what? I'm going to use that talent at funerals. <laughs> it's easy to do at funerals. Like if they were still here with us, I would catch them in a ghost trap. Yeah, them in a, a weird privately owned purgatory. Just be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Do 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 you think it's fair that the, the 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 monsters and the ghouls are in the same prison cell as just the innocent dead taxi driver who accidentally came back because of his unfinished business? Anyway, listen, I'll, I'll let you go on with it, Father Murphy. Uh, right. <laughs> um, should we should we start talking about this episode of Star Trek? Oh, that's so. This is- uh, I'm going to read you a quote here. <laughs> I say a quote. It's from Wikipedia. In a 2012 interview, Patrick Stewart agreed with fans that considered the season two episode The Measure of a Man to be the first truly great episode of the series. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Stating that the first season had several quite weak episodes, referring to Code of Honor in particular, he said, I can think of one very early on that involved a race of black aliens that we all felt quite embarrassed about. Yes. I I have put... Look, I'm As a white man, it isn't up for me to police the feelings of people of colour, but I yeah. have put in here, all the black actors in this episode should be ashamed of themselves. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to re- rebut you on that one. Okay. Um, and, and, I, and again, I, I'm kind of the same. Um, I... I, well, I'm, I like to consider myself pretty fucking woke. Um, and if you turned off because of that, well... Yeah, bye. <laughs> when I'm in charge, you'll be going into the fucking system. Um, but, so get this. Here's a bit of production for you. The African theme mm-hmm. was brought in by the director, Russ Maybury, who was then fired by Gene Roddenberry himself after hiring an all-black cast. Will Wheaton said he thought it was because Maybury was racist to the actors. So originally, this episode was written to be about a, a reptilian race. Right, okay. But they decided that the makeup test didn't really work, so they brought in this director who was like, I know what I'll do, I'll make it 
all black. Um, and you can you can you can tell that he didn't really go for the script because there's a, there's a bit where, um, so obviously this is to, to to stop beating around the bush. This is supposed to be some fucking idiot's interpretation of like if a if an African tribe, yeah, had decided technology had Star Trek technology. Now, Sorry, go on, but I, I'll, I'll get back got, to my point in a minute. One important thing I want to bring up about this because I did I did some thinking and I was like, so this is eighty seven. There's like there is some some excuse for maybe not being as developed. So I did I did want to do some research on this. Um, the, the the original series of Star Trek, the first episode aired in September nineteen sixty six. July 1966, so before that had even occurred, is the first appearance in Marvel Comics of Wakanda. So, there is, like, plenty of... If you want some inspiration on how to do futuristic African without being offensive, there's a lot of fucking source material out there that you could pull on. But, yeah. My favourite part of this entire episode is when they sit down, the ambassadors, and Picard says... Back on Earth, there was like a bunch of kind of you, you, you like are weirdly similar to like a a a, a, a kind of society that an we ancient had. Earth culture we an, all admire. An ancient Earth culture we all admire, and so in order to um, you know recognize that, we've decided to grant you a gift from said culture. Here's a statue of a horse that dates back to the Song Dynasty. It's right. like, oh, hold on a minute here. <laughs> are, are you referring to what I've got in my notes? Says data enter, uh, data enters, holding a cheap ass looking ceramic horse. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, to, to go through what the actual plot of the episode is, this is there is a there is a vaccine on board the planet on the planet Ligum Two, and it's the only thing that can cure a plague that is ravishing Cirrus Four. So Picard is there to like open negotiations, and they talk a lot about how it's similar to our society. Um, they want to beam themselves in using their own technology and I've got Picard here makes them beam into the cargo bay because I'm assuming the transporter room is whites only Um, (laughs) I don't know man Miles O'Brien is allowed in there (laughs) oh yeah it would be no Irish as well Um, uh, literally the, the outfits are the most bare bones what does a white person think Africa it's it's so bad for just being what does a white person from 80s America think Africa might possibly be like with <laughs> without doing any research the accents are are comedy acts African accents yeah it, the, the musical stings on this as well it's it's one step up from the drums from Jumanji it's <laughs> <laughs> oh but yeah, they turn up, and because they're um, they they there's um uh, there's a bit where Picard goes for a double high fives, and the guy leaves him hanging. Um, <laughs> um, then they go to hand like a sample of the vaccine to Picard, and Tasha's like, "Oh, one minute, you can't just hand things to the captain. That might be a bomb." So yep. she grabs the bloke, twirls him around, throws him down, and they're all like, "Oh, is that a woman who can fight?" And they're like, "Yeah, she's our chief of security." And they're like, "Whoa, seems crazy to us. This is." They must have met a Klingon. <laughs> like, just... Yeah. But... Oh, and also, I will point out one good thing about this episode. Deanna Troy is on fucking point 
in this episode. And she, like, provides actual fucking useful stuff. Like, they turn up and, like, um, after Tasha throws them down to the floor, Troy's like, don't apologise. It would seem weak. I've detected And I'm like, thank you, Troy. You've done some actual research. But, yeah. Um, they constantly talk about how these people aren't as advanced as, as the Federation. There's a later point where Picard specifically says, your culture isn't as evolved as ours. Which I don't really understand. So... The, so the the way the way that the the, the federation works, or, or, or uh, even pre-federation, yeah. So Zephram Cochran invents warp drive, takes off when the Vulcans happen to be passing through. Yeah. The Vulcans realise that Earth now has warp drive and decides you are advanced enough that we are going to bring you into the fold. But then, why? As soon as that happens. I assume there's like technology sharing and stuff. Why are there planets in the Federation that aren't as advanced as other planets in the Federation? Well, I don't think this is in the Federation. I right. think it's in like the Federation space because like they have a lot of different lined up planets. But I don't because they keep talking about wanting a treaty. Yeah. So I don't think they're in the Federation. But that's another thing they keep bringing up in this fucking episode is oh we, the Prime Directive means we can't muddle with their culture and it's like the Prime Directive applies up until you've got a warp drive. Yeah. At which point all bets are fucking off because you're yeah. just gonna bump because it's like oh you can be all fucking noble about it but eventually they are gonna run into the Ferengis and the Klingons and the Romulans who are gonna be like <laughs> and take advantage of them in some way yeah so and also there's uh, which again is another uh, point that was made better in the Orville but there's um, I, I I I don't quite care. Because we don't... Do we see any of their ships? I actually didn't watch this episode to the end. I remembered that I watched it once five years ago, and I just considered that um, enough we, research for this episode. We don't see their ships, but the fact that they've had any contact with them at all seems to imply that they've got a warp drive. And they've got transporters. Because they you... tries to explain how cool their transporters are, and it just gets a shut-up data look from card. <laughs> do you think that... Because they, because the idea is they're the only people in the universe that have this vaccine, right? For yeah. this thing that's killing and everyone. S- and they specifically cover later on that it can't be replicated because it becomes unstable. Doctor so, Beverly Crusher says that it can't be replicated, which seems convenient. Yeah, there's a lot in this episode of them writing quite clever ways to get out of issues that should <laughs> should make this episode a lot shorter. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think? That the Federation just ignored the Prime Directive in order to... They were like, well, these people have the vaccine, so we're, we're going to go and, and, and make friends with them. But then I guess they have transporter technology. Yeah. It's difficult, like just because the thing is, we don't see any ships. Yeah. But that just means that we're not on board a ship. So it's difficult. But This episode can fuck off, and do you know what, Eddie? I'm actually already sick of talking about it. <laughs> it's it's a classic example. Like they don't. This is the certain point where they're not entirely certain what the prime directive is. They go to the hollow deck and it does a bunch of stuff that it doesn't do in later episodes because they haven't worked out what that actually does yet or what the rules are. Fun fact: This is the first appearance of the black and yellow holodeck. Hey! Yeah. Oh yeah, because it was just the forest last time. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so yeah, to, to, the, the 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 African planet people, the Ligoni, the Ligonians. <laughs> They kidnap Tasha. Who are similar to the Song Dynasty. Yeah. 
they yeah they they kidnap Tasha Yar, um, which uh, Picard calls an unfriendly act. <laughs> and then they're told. Basically, it turns out that they're told that in their culture this is fine. Yeah. So we can't really do anything about it. And Troy is like, well, of course they kidnapped Tasha. She's an attractive woman, which, I mean, doesn't seem pertinent to what's gone on. But, um, yeah, it's like this is, and it's like they say, oh, the Ligonians like like patience, and that's why Picard doesn't blow up the planet. And then there's like an ad break, and it comes back, and they say that they've been in orbit for a day, and they're fine because Tasha Yar's still alive. And it's like there's a lot of things that can happen to you while you're still alive that could be very unpleasant over a 24-hour period. Yeah, like a rape gang. Yeah, like a rape gang. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. Uh, oh, yeah, there's a great bit in this. Uh, I've got Crusher wants Wesley to be allowed on the bridge. Oh, That's a yeah. little conversation they have in the middle of this. And when Picard goes out, Wesley's literally hiding in the turbo deck. Like, the turbo <laughs> deck, like a little yeah. fucking weirdo. And then... And then Riker comes out and says, I'll get another one for you, sir. <laughs> but, which is weird, because if I, if I recall correctly, Riker's personal prime directive is to not make Picard look like a dick in front of kids. Which is exactly what he just did. The only way it could have looked more dodgy is if it had, as he'd said, I'll get rid of him for you, Captain. He was taking his belt off. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's just a bit of clever tactics to make Riker seem more like a cunt? so that Wesley will think better of Picard? Is, in fact, Riker doing his job? Yeah, I think so. Which makes up for the fact that later on he doesn't. <laughs> Do you want oh. a fun fact about Riker? Oh, no, sorry, go on. Okay, there's just one thing I want to bring up in this, right? Whilst they're looking into the um, like the, the, this culture, um, Data uses a phrase from an obscure language, this obscure dead language that is no longer used, which is French. <laughs> and then Picard gets annoyed that they bring up the fact that this is a dead language and Data <laughs> doesn't seem to understand why so this is a question I've had for ages because so my theory was that the that the universal translator is translating Picard's French into English and the fact that he's speaking French is why it's translated my own personal theory is that because he's from France it translates it into the English from the nearest available country, which is England, and that's why Picard has a British accent. Oh. But apparently, no, France is a, French is a dead language, and the French are all speaking English. Now, look, I'm not going to call into like, like the realism of Star Trek, but do you know how bad things would have to get on this planet for the French to, one, give up French... And two, take up English. <laughs> they, they, as a nation, will cling, cling on to French to the cold, bitter death. But if they have to choose another language, it will be whatever language would annoy the English the most. <laughs> <laughs> I also think it's kind of amazing that um, data can put two and two together and figure out that insulting the French language in front of a man whose name might as well be France McFrance <laughs> is probably not the best course of action. I yeah, Well, here's, here's the thing, though. He, he, he must be speaking English 
because otherwise data would would recognize that yeah yeah because data's obviously very logical so he'd be like everyone here is speaking their own language is is that the case or the like i i don't i don't really understand how the universal translator works i mean obviously i understand how a universal translator works in fiction it's to make sure that we the audience can understand everyone yeah and to be honest i actually prefer it when shows either super lean into you can't go middle ground with it you either have to super explain it like doctor who when he goes the tardis just translates everything all the time yeah um it's clever enough to do it it's there's an annoying point in stargate sg1 around like three seasons in where they realize that having daniel translate every language they encounter for a solid third of the episode is boring so suddenly it just switches to everyone in space speaks english yeah and it's never addressed and it's one of the things that annoys the hell out of me but i do know how the universal translator in star trek works because it's addressed in an episode of of, um, deep space nine all right go on um it's an implant in the ear right it's like a little computer chip in your inner ear that takes in the sound and like noise cancelling sound like headphones it cancels that and plays it through in a language you can understand now in universe that does mean that obviously everybody's mouths shouldn't match up with what they're saying yeah but that's just that's the case of like also the ships shouldn't look like they're bad cgi but they do it's what we've got we're trying to tell a story just go with it if you've ever been to you don't go to the theater and say oh that's the same bloke who was the shopkeeper in act one you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah right i will forgive science fiction a lot because usually they're trying to do something quite complicated I say, from a storytelling point of view, I'm not going to forgive anything that happens in this episode. Because... Um, oh. So, Tasha gets kidnapped, and yeah. then so something happens, because I'll be honest, I, this was on in the background while I was on Reddit. Um, and I, something, this is how fucking non-committed I watched it. I, I genuinely do want to make this quite an entertaining show. Like, I want this... I, it might not come off like that, <laughs> but I genuinely want this to be a thing that people listen to and be like, that's good. I enjoyed that. Yeah. It's, but it, it, so, so I like to watch the episodes quite carefully and, and, and look for things that I can take notes about and be like, oh, I can be irreverent about that. I can make jokes about that. Something happened between Jordi and Data that I like... Oh tuned into and i looked around and i went oh that'll be a good thing to talk about and then i stopped caring and didn't even <laughs> take the note so i can't remember what it is that jordy i think jordy does something or jordy it's I, I, once again we see the we see him with a fucking visor off yeah um to, so that we know what the visor does but jordy physically does something that i je- i can't remember what it is that he does that i he's, went that's interesting he's, he's using a space razor it's a space That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's using a little... So this is much later in the episode. But yeah, there's a whole, like... there's a, It's one of those first little moments where it's like, oh, Data and Geordie have a conversation that isn't related to the subject matter necessarily of the episode. But it's just like Data being like, oh, I don't I don't understand jokes. Yeah. I've been trying jokes. And I, I want to... I've made a special it's like, it's like the incel Bechdel test. <laughs> Are Jordy and Data talking about something that isn't the plot of the episode? <laughs> I I want to I want to say something on this because I I noticed something in 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 this scene. Data's 
comedic timing is so bad that I can only assume Brent Spiner's comedic timing is insanely good. Like, (laughs) he does not hit a beat by accident. He, it's, it's, to the amount of effort he spent working out exactly what was the worst possible way to deliver the joke that he tells in this is astonishing. Uh, (laughs) I would be incredibly surprised if Brent Spiner wasn't one of the best joke tellers. Because the the thing about um, jokes, and this is going to sound weird when I say it until... Stand-up comedians are some of the worst people in the world at telling jokes. Um, it, it, we like traditional jokes. Like, there's a reason why people don't really do jokes on stage anymore. It's a craft. The stand-ups, as far as I'm aware, from from the limited knowledge that I have of knowing professional stand-ups and stuff, it's a craft that people just don't really worry about. Because the thing is, telling a joke. Telling a traditional joke badly in 2021 is much funnier than telling a traditional joke well. Yeah. But I imagine that Brent Spiner, especially coming from the generation that he is, especially knowing the actor that he he is and what he seems to be like in behind the scenes, I bet you could I bet you could write down a joke. I bet you wouldn't even need to tell him a joke. I bet you could write it down and give it to him and he would know exactly what beats to hit. Yeah. So I, I yeah. agree. I, I imagine Brent Spiner is an incredibly gifted joke teller. Yeah, I can imagine that there's... I would love to, like, see some outtakes of him, like, just crack it. Because I imagine with the data makeup on and everything, like, there's there's a lot of potential that he's probably very funny behind the scenes. Yeah. But, who, who do you think is the person that kept everybody laughing? Do you think it was Brent Spiner? I reckon Michael Dorn's pretty funny. Yeah, I could see... He's, in, could he's see funny Michael, in Ted. I could see Michael Dorn. I, re- I, I, I reckon... I reckon John, I reckon Jonathan Frakes. Oh, yeah. Probably, I can imagine he's one of those ones where he's, he's not that... He doesn't chip in that often, but when he does say something, it kills everyone. It's, you know... It's I've what, watched quite a lot of videos about behind the scenes on the Star Trek movies. I don't know why. There's a channel that I really like called Rowan J. Coleman and he does retrospectives of, of Star Trek and they're, they're super in-depth. I've watched them for series that I've never even seen um, <laughs> and movies that I've never even seen and they're super in-depth and it goes into the making of. One thing that really stuck out to me is that Jonathan Frakes became to be known as Two Take Frakes. Right. Because he's just such a good and natural director that you only need two takes, and you've got it. <laughs> um, speaking of Jonathan Frakes, Jonathan Frakes tried to get this episode pulled from reruns. Good, good man. Good man. <laughs> and I, I was going to say, do you reckon that's because of all of the characters? I feel Riker comes off the worst in this because yeah. there is a there is a point. So I should point out, Lutan has kidnapped the, has kidnapped Tashi Yar in this episode. But oh, fuck, that's right. There's a plot to this. Yeah, but he's not. He's done that. He's like, come on board. He's given him a sample of the vaccine. He's gone around. He's kidnapped her. And according to their culture, he's not done anything wrong. And Riker describes him as as devious and a liar. Uh, at this point in the episode, when he does this, he's not lied about anything. And while it does turn out he's got a devious scheme, Riker doesn't know that. So he's making that judgment based on some other criteria. <laughs> 
Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and this is uh, but this is this is where I got them. I've got, this is where I got them. This is after this section. It's the whole bit about Picard has to go down. The custom says Picard has to go down to the planet instead of Riker. And Riker's like, that's not safe. But but and they they sort of implied due to the way their culture works, they wouldn't dare attack Picard. And then we get the first shot of the planet, and fuck me, Mark. I I paused the episode when they showed this, and my mouth hung open. It is This is a planet on which their society has developed the transporter, and we assume the warp core. And it looks like... Like... Turn of the... Like, the time of Christ Judea. <laughs> <laughs> And the thing is, a lot of Star Trek planets kind of have that. Like, because there's only so many ways that you can do alien races. Like, there's also alien societies that are different from ours. Like, you you either have to lean into uh, kind of other cultures. Like, you maybe you make it look a bit like Tokyo, because that's, that's a bit alien to us from the West. So, we like yeah. that, man, because it's futuristic and it's a bit cool and it's a bit weird and people act a little bit differently in public. Or you make it a bit more like the Middle East. But weirdly, why would you go back in time? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I, but, people who don't know, I, I, my hobby in my spare time is I've been, for the last couple of years, I've been learning to draw. Yeah. And if you sat down to me and said, design, a, it's, it's only one shot, it's one matte painting. So it's used like the same one over and over again. If you sat down with me and said, uh, we want you to design a futuristic science fiction city that has strong African vibes. Oh, that all! Oh, I'd love to sink my hands into the clothes. That sounds lovely. There's yeah. oh, so much little interest in detail. You and just went some some bloke was like Africa. You mean backwards? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, man. And it, it, it does come back to Wakanda, like because Wakanda is. Uh, like Afrofuturism is a design aesthetic that has been around for a long time. Um, yeah. If you've never heard of it before, Afrofuturism is like the idea of uh, what what if you know? I'm gonna I'm gonna try and be fucking really really uh, careful the way that I phrase this. Um, but it's like what if Africa. <laughs> had been left alone had been left alone um and and evolved kind of a similar technology yeah. to, to what we look at in our own western futurism like wakanda is like the perfect example so wakanda is obviously very futuristic society wise and technology wise but their stuff has like obviously a very african flair and that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean tribal it can literally mean things like they use a lot more colours. Yeah, like if you look at um, the like lab that um, oh, uh, Shuri Shuri's got, like and the Not like for long. of it, it's well, if you look at that that and the way that's designed and everything like that, that's that is essentially doing the exact same job in the story as like Tony Stark's garage. Yeah, it's it's just where we go to look at all the kit and like or like the the penthouse in that. And it's got the same sort of tech, but it's just got a lot more bright colours, a lot more vibrant, just because that is a part of African culture. And the suit designs and stuff like that, and the clothing designs. Yeah. There is, there is a, what, what I think we're driving at is there is a version of this that you can do well that isn't offensive. Yeah. But, yeah. But it's easier to just be offensive if you're a racist. Yeah. 
I mean, let, to be fair as well, let's not let's not just let, this episode isn't just off- offensive to black people. Let's let's not bring because we've also got the point that they uh, um, so Tasha gets brought in. This is the chief security officer of the um, uh, Enterprise, and do you know the, the Federation's flagship? The Federation's flagship, and do you know what? What clever method they've done to restrain this warrior woman from fighting back? Um, they're holding her just above the elbow <laughs> on the on the left arm, and I don't know if you know Mark, but if you grab a woman there, just neutralizes them. They can't do a single thing. That's what Wonder <laughs> Woman's only weakness was. <laughs> oh, oh, this is but she gets brought in. There's, there's this, this is where this episode goes mental, right? This is where? Yeah. So this is the plot where Yutan, the guy who's the king of this country, this planet, um, however that fuck that works. Um, Te- he's dis- also a country or planet, neither of which Africa are. Yeah. <laughs> he decides that he wants to... Um, uh, basically, they have a big party. There's some axe juggling, some shit percussionists. It's clearly a soundstage, way more mm-hmm. clearly than anything has been so far in the next generation. And uh, Lutan decides that he wants to keep Tasha. Um, so he institutes this thing where he's going to marry her and Tasha has to fight his current wife to the death. Yep. And then uh, uh, Picard refuses. Um, uh we get a little bit of like Riker being worried, a little bit of uh, Tasha doing the sensible thing and warming up in case she does have to do this. And we get Trump... we get a little bit of Riker saying, "How come they can say it if I can't?" <laughs> like, where's the fairness there? I thought they wanted equality. There's a there's a there's actually a bit where Riker says, "I don't understand. Surely the king should just be the best guy for the job." Whilst he's sitting there trying to order a copy of Birth of the Nation for the, uh, the holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they're going, and Troy basically victim blames Tasha. Yeah. She's like, oh, but you fancy him a bit. And Tasha's like, well, yeah, but that's not relevant. It's like she's one step away from going, well, Tasha, you are going to get kidnapped if you keep dressing that way. <laughs> it's. <laughs> And then you get to tell, oh, the just, place... Just, just to, to, to add a try, go, look, Tasha, the more you talk about rape gangs, the more that people are going <laughs> to assume that that's what you're into. You, people feed off the energy you put into the room, Tasha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got here a little note that they get an update that the plague on Steros 4 has flared up. But, as I've put in my notes, I bet they're not pumping sewage into the fucking rivers, though, so... <laughs> <laughs> Um, my favourite thing about this episode um, is that Michael Dorn has publicly stated that he's glad he's not in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, a decisive lack of wharf in this episode. Oh, by the way, that as well. So Tasha's got to fight this woman to, to the death, okay? And Picard wants some people to beam down to the planet to help out. So he has beamed down. Data and Geordie, right? Which is where we get the whole, uh, Geordie's got, like, he's doing his space shaving. And Data's like, that's not the razor I made for you. The one I've got, like, more efficient. And Geordie's like, oh, something to be too efficient. Yeah, because do you know know what I love in my technology? (laughs) Technology that's slightly worse. 
as I, I shave my head and I have been doing so now for about a decade and there has not been one single occasion where I have managed to do it properly. Because <laughs> <laughs> shaving the back of your own head, and I wouldn't go with something under me a razor. It's like, oh, if you just, especially because it doesn't even have to start so skinny, just like whirls it around. I'd be like, oh, that'll get me. I'm not going to go, oh, it's too efficient. I like having a big fucking stripe down the back of my head to let everybody know that I'm incompetent. No, it's... Uh, but Do you know what makes shaving hard? Not doing it in a mirror. But do you know what makes it even harder? Being blind. <laughs> okay. Now, but here's an important question that I have for you. Yeah. Mark. You are Lieutenant Worf. Thanks. You are on board the Enterprise. It's the end of the day. You've not been around for most of this. You've been you've been <laughs> off doing other stuff. And you're like catching up with everybody in the bar at the end of the day. How angry would you be on a scale of 1 to 10 to discover that one of your close friends had been involved in ritual combat to the death and Picard had chosen to bring to watch this with him Geordie and Data, not you (laughs) Especially when Worf has already put out straight on Front Street in Encounter at Farpoint that any situation that involves being a fight to the death, he wants to be there. Like, yeah. he literally says that. This is like his favourite thing. Yeah. Is- <laughs> He's just... that's He probably was busy this episode fighting to the death somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um- or, do you, here's my theory about what happened to Worf in this episode, right? Obviously, last episode we were talking about how it's we like he he doesn't get drunk on the effects of whatever the virus was because he can hold his actual booze. Do you think he went to Captain Picard and he was like, "Look, Captain, I know that obviously that was a big fuck up for everybody, but I don't think it's particularly fair that you guys all got to get blackout drunk and I didn't. So, can I put in for two days annual leave?" <laughs> And just go to 10 forward. Because Guinan isn't there yet, right? They pick Guinan up later. Yeah. So there's some other chump that's that's running 10 forward. And he's just like, I am going to... Like, that barman is never going to want to see me again. He's he's doing keg stands over a barrel of blood wine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's like... So it turns out the weapons they're going to use have got poison on them in this. Uh, And... Um, Tasha, all I've got in my notes is Tasha is so up for this. Like <laughs> Tasha's Tasha's voting Tasha's voting to stay in the Squid Game. That's all I'm saying, <laughs> right? She doesn't want to leave, not at any point. She was the, she was she was well up for red light green light. She's been happy to be here ever since. Uh, <laughs> I can't really remember, but does the finale of this take place? And they have to fight in an arena that has like little platforms that they can get around. Yeah. I, got... Have you ever seen professional tag? Oh, I think I've seen this ages ago. It's like in a skate park, but you've got like they look yeah. like free running moves and shit, don't they? That's what it looks like. It I... looks like they're fighting in professional tag. One thing I love about this is at one point she in the fight she knocks off the opponent her opponent's like. A spiked. F- it's she gets a choice of weapons. 
there's like four boxes deal or no deal style and she opens the first one and it's a spiked glove that could not look more impractical and Taji Yar's immediately like that one <laughs> um, but it gets knocked off and it hits somebody in the crowd and it like lands on them and they're like oh and then they hand it back and then they look down and realise that they're bleeding and immediately die <laughs> <laughs> um, oh there's also yeah in this episode they talk to the transporter chief over the com it's not O'Brien no, he's not transporter chief yet. No one is where they should be. No. Uh, although, to be fair, at this point, if you if you know anything about what happens in Deep Space Nine, um, you will know that probably at this point, Chief O'Brien will look back on this period where nothing was happening in his life as the good old days. Because Mark, there is a there is a if you ever watch Deep Space Nine, whenever there is a decision of who should go through ungodly suffering in an episode. The writers of Deep Space Nine turn around to a big wheel and they spin it. And yeah. whatever name it lands on is the person who suffers. And that wheel only has O'Brien's name. <laughs> <laughs> but here's my question. If this episode was exactly the same, right? Except yeah. instead of Tasha Yar, it was Miles O'Brien. <laughs> Do you think this would be well, more well regarded as a progressive episode? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the name of the episode wouldn't be Code of Honor. It would be No Blacks, No Irish. <laughs> <laughs> Dogs, well. Dogs, okay. That's what it would be called. It would just be called Dogs, Dogs Dog, yeah, Welcome. Do- Dogs, Welcome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Do you, um, do, you, do, you, do you think it would, it would get, like, Picard would be like, right, we need to fucking, we need, we need to go down here and fucking uh, and sort this out, and they go down. And then uh, Miles O'Brien is just like sat holding court with all these guys d- discussing the finer points of the troubles. <laughs> just being like, now look, Jerry Adams technically was never in the IRA, but. <laughs> well, this is the classic line that I always hear whenever I think, the, the, just hear that. Maybe it's just Miles O'Brien sat there just going, Sinn Fein is a legitimate political party. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he's sitting there and he's like, no, it's pronounced more like, it's like chalky. It's not chalky. <laughs> Just like chalky. There's like an extra sound that you need to make. You know, like you people do. <laughs> They're like, what do you mean, you people? Uh... He's like, isn't this planet Africa? <laughs> Fuck's sake. I like the idea of O'Brien going out to fight, and he, by that time he's converted half the crowd, and they're just chanting up the raw. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I want to say as well, this episode is building up to this like massive bit of combat, and all I could think while I was watching this is, one, it doesn't have the classic Star Trek combat music from the original series. Yeah, and Kirk should be having this fight, because this was, this was shit. This was the fight choreography equivalent of covering someone in fake snow. And telling them that they're frozen now. <laughs> uh, it's just shit. But yeah, and then after like Tasha wins, kills the kills the bird, and it turns out that the whole thing is the guy wants his wife dead because in their society the women own the land. Yeah. So if she dies, he gets the land. So, so they, they, they the minute she's been killed, they beam her up, and then Beverly waits until her heart stopped, and then brings her back to life, despite the fact that that is highly unethical practice even for a futuristic doctor and then 
she's like, well, we're not married anymore because I died. And then she gets with some other bloke. That's the that's how the episode ends. It it builds up to this massive fight, and then it just stops. The episode just ends, and it's. And Tasha has decided at this point. Tasha is offered the lead bad guy as a husband by his ex-wife, and she says no because it would be complicated, and not because he just made her have a fight to the death. As I've stated before. Tasha Yars fucked in the head. <laughs> Christ on a bike. Everything it, about this was awful. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to bother rating it as is this a good Star Trek episode because it wasn't. It wasn't. No, no, no. And and the worst thing is, I, I was looking into this because we've done the misogynistic episode, we've done the the racist episode. And I was like, oh, I'll actually, because I keep on doing this, where I go, oh, what's next episode? And I've not looked ahead. Next week's episode is the introduction of the Ferengi. So oh, we get God. some, we get anti-Semitism next. I, I'm starting to wonder if we shouldn't just, like, just pick a random this. season four episode to just <laughs> slot in as, like, a palate cleanser. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely thinking that that we should maybe... Do the, after we've done the next episode, we should just do an episode of the Orville that we both like. <laughs> I'd be up for that, yeah, yeah, just as a little palate cleanser. Cause, yeah, because because this is I of all the ideas we've had for a podcast, this is the one I have most consistently enjoyed. Yeah, me too. Yeah, up, up until there was a point halfway through this episode where I was watching it and I was pausing it to make more notes about how offensive this is. And I got up to five pages and I was just like, this is longer than I ever want to spend on this particular episode of Star Trek. It's We've probably get, we've given it, I think, more discussion than it's ever had by anyone who's not doing a watch-along style podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, there's, there is, this episode has little to no artistic merit. There's the little bit between Geordie and Data could be slotted into any episode and was kind of nice. Like explaining Data doesn't get how jokes work. And then accidentally making a joke that made Geordie laugh. But that's it. It's also oh yeah, it's also they let they let they start letting Wesley sit at the op station. Oh yeah. That's a way to run a fucking starship. Do you know the weird thing? Uh this episode was actually genuinely the script, the original script for this episode was reworked into an episode of Stargate SG-1. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's the fourth episode. I, I don't really remember it. Um, so here's, the, here's, the, here's the, the, the description. SG-1 visits a planet inhabited by the Shavadai, a nomadic tribe descended from the Mongols. They regard women as property and restrict their rights in the belief that to do otherwise would bring the Gua'ul down upon them. Carter ends up being sold, but when Carter beats a chieftain in hand-to-hand combat, the team changes the tribe's opinion about the rights of women. That's a better episode of a science yeah. fiction show. Especially because in that circumstance, you've got plenty of... Like, one, it's modern day, so you can excuse certain attitudes, and two... Any shitty behaviour by the humans they encounter can be blamed squarely on the Gould. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But in this case, the shitty behaviour of everyone involved was just based on the fact that it was written by people who... I, You know what? In a weird way, 
I hope that episode was written by a racist. I don't think it was. I, I think the woman who wrote it originally <sighs> kind of disowned it. Right, yeah. I hope that, like, I just, what I mean is, it's a weird thing. I, I hope that that wasn't somebody's well-meaning attempt at representation. Yeah, like, I, 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 get I, you. I, I would rather find out that that was an episode entirely like generated by malice, yeah, than thinking that somebody who was well-intentioned could make something that bad. Yeah, um, yeah, it's fucking awful. Uh, don't watch if you if you're thinking of watching all of Star Trek. Don't, don't watch Code of Honor. Um, yeah. But next week we next week we've got the Ferengis. Great. Brilliant. Excellent. And they're not even they're not even proper Ferengis. They don't even get them right. They it's Deep Space Nine saves them. <sighs> oh. <sighs> I hope you've enjoyed this. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> the Captain Slog is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at Real Mark O'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and now on YouTube at Captain Slog. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog. <laughs>